first of all, before anybody has a smart comment, I have never touched any wires back here. Okay? Just letting you know. Uh, but glad we got the, uh, you may want to talk to Johnny because I was thinking, well, you know, without the microphone, I may keep it a little short tonight. Oh, well. So we're going, we're going right on ahead. We've been studying sometime, uh, for some time on Sunday nights, the parables of Jesus. Uh, some of them have been ones that we've known, we've heard of most of our lives. Some of them may have been a little obscure to some of us, not ones we normally think about. But as we're coming down towards the end of this study of the parables, now don't get excited, that doesn't mean it'll end anytime soon, but we're kind of winding down. Uh, we're going to do some of the ones that we do know uh, better. I was saving them really for last. And so tonight we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I don't know, but my guess is that this may be uh, maybe the, the, the most famous of all the parables that Jesus told. Uh, people who don't even go to a church or aren't religious, they know about the Good Samaritan and know something about it. My guess is that there's thousands of Good Samaritan hospitals in the United States. Uh, we even have what's called Good Samaritan laws protecting you from, from helping somebody, you know, on the side of the road or whatever, that they can't sue you if you, if you try to help them and, and things like that. Uh, and I was shocked by this, and I still cannot believe that it's true, but I keep pretty meticulous notes. Uh, I have all my sermons categorized. They're all in notebooks I have in my deal. And there's an index to all each year, you know, all the sermons that I preached in that year and, and everything. And I went back through and in 31 years, at least I can, and I went through twice, by the way, in 31 years, I have never preached on the Good Samaritan. That just can't be right, right? What kind of preacher am I? But I went through after the first time I thought that can't be right. Went back through. Sure enough, I could not find anywhere where I'd preached on the Good Samaritan. Now, I know I've taught class on it and, you know, and, and so Chuck says it's about time. So here we go. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor. In, Jesus, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped off his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the, to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, this is where it's hard for me to believe I haven't preached on this before, because I know I've talked about this before, but maybe it was just in class. But as we think about this parable, the expert in the law was a Jew. He was, a, he was a, one of the Jewish teachers. Expert, when it says expert in the law, it's not talking about a lawyer like you and I think a lawyer, but expert in the Jewish law, the law of Moses, the religious law. And he comes and he asks the question and we get into who's the neighbor and Jesus tells the story. Now, in my mind, Jesus tells the story backwards. Because in my mind, if I were going to tell a parable, trying to explain to this man who his neighbor ought to be, it would be a Samaritan who had gotten beaten and robbed. And a Jew, like the lawyer himself, like the expert in the law himself, who came and helped the Samaritan. And I often wonder, I've wondered before, why did Jesus reverse that? Because in my mind, that would then make the man uh, associate with the person doing the helping. And that was kind of the question all along, right? Who is my, you know, who am I supposed to be helping? And so I wonder, why, why did Jesus kind of reverse the roles from what you might expect? I don't know for sure, but I think there's a couple possibilities. One is, I think that the man, the Jesus really wanted the man more to associate with the one in need than the one giving the need. You see, we remember that verse when Jesus said in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, do unto others as you would have them do to you. So if the Jewish man more associated with the man who'd been beaten and robbed and was in need, he could more understand the idea that he wanted help from anybody. And I also think he did it that way so that then the Jewish man could not somehow gloat over the fact that he had helped the Samaritan. You see me, I'm such a good Jew and I helped even this, this dirty, stinking Samaritan. And we'll get to, to that here in a minute. But for whatever the reason, Jesus, and, and am I alone in this? If you were thinking about it, wouldn't you think that Jesus would have done it the other way? That, that's just, that was, that's my thinking. Obviously, I'm not going to quibble with Jesus. And I think he had a reason for doing it the way that he did. So tonight I want us to learn some lessons for some of the people that we have involved in the actual story and the parable itself. So first of all, I want us to learn a lesson from the the lawyer. And the first lesson that we can learn from the lawyer, and okay, is that with God, there are no minimums. You know, he comes and it says he comes to test Jesus. How does that work for people? Does it work out well for people when they come to test Jesus? It does not work out well. You would think that people would have learned by now that if you try to trap Jesus with a question, his modus operandi is to turn the question back on you. And that's exactly what Jesus did with the expert in the law. The expert in the law said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said, well, dude, you're the expert in the law. You're the, you're the, the law of Moses guru. You tell me. And he says, well, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Could he have said it any better? When people did come to Jesus and ask him, what, are the, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know if this man had heard Jesus answer that question before. But he hit the nail right on the head. He got the answer exactly right. Love God and love your neighbors. But then it says that he tried or he wanted to justify himself. And then Jesus said, yeah, go do this and you'll live. And I have always thought, you remember when we started these parables, that almost every one of them, as I've been studying and reading, something different comes into, into light about, about these parables. Now, my whole life, and any time I've ever taught this, I'm sure that I've said, when it says that the man wanted to justify himself, I always took that to mean that the man wanted to justify himself for not helping certain people. Well, who, you know, I help my fellow Jews. I help the people around me. You know, I help my friends. I help, I help whomever. And he knew that he didn't help these other people, so he kind of wanted to justify himself. And said, well, exactly who is my neighbor? And I think there's something to that because of the parable that Jesus tells. But I also was reading something this week that struck me. And I thought, wow, that's right. When it says that he wanted to justify himself, it could mean that he wanted to justify asking the question in the first place. You see, because he asked the question, what must I do to eternal life? And Jesus says, you tell me. And so he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, okay, do it. And at that point, especially if there's a crowd around, he's feeling a little humiliated. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, Why'd you ask that question? Why'd you ask a question you already know the answer to? That's a, you know, and Jesus would never do this, but people around him might be thinking, why is he wasting the master's time asking a question? He already knows the answer to. And so in order to justify asking the question, he asked the additional question, well, who is my neighbor? And you see, from telling the story the way that he did, and we understand, and we've studied about the Samaritans before, that when uh, the, uh, the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom, they took a large majority of the Jews and deported them all over the rest of the world. And then they brought in a bunch of people from the other lands that they had conquered and settled them in the northern kingdom. And so they began to intermarry with the Jews that were left there. And so what you were left with was a half-breed of people who were kind of Jews and kind of not Jews, but they did worship God, but, but uh, they weren't allowed because they weren't true Jews. They weren't allowed into the temple, so they set up their own place of worship on the mountain, and, and the Jews just despised them and hated them and considered them 
second, third, fourth, fifth class citizens. Really considered them dogs. And you remember that people would not even, if you're going from Galilee to Judea or Judea to Galilee, and Samaria was right there in the middle, you would not even travel through Samaria. You would go all the way around to avoid going through Samaria. And that's why you remember when Jesus was on his way, it said, when he met the Samaritan woman, it said he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't have to, geographically. But he had to because he had a mission in Samaria to deal with the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans were hated people. And again, it goes to the idea of why Jesus told the story the way he did. It's one thing if you are the superior in your own mind, you are the superior. And you help the inferior. It would be one thing for a Jew to say, okay, I will stoop down and I will humble myself and I will help this poor Samaritan. But telling it the other way, the way Jesus told it. Imagine somebody who has absolutely been vicious to you your whole life. Somebody that you know hates you. Somebody who thinks that you are just nothing. Less than nothing. Somebody that you know that if roles were reversed, you know, it would be. And yet it's that person. The person who has been wronged all their lives essentially. Who helps the person who wronged them. And so the story takes on a whole different kind of meaning. And what we learn from the lawyer is that there are no minimums with God. You know, it's not about, okay, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Check one, check two, check three. I help the person that lives right next door to me over here. But I don't have to help that person over there or whatever. Jesus took the most outrageous scenario. To show that when it comes to serving God, there are no minimums. You don't go so far and then eh, quit. So that's what we learn from the lawyer. We also learn something from the priest and the Levite that walked by on the other side. And we talked last week or week before last on Sunday morning. We were talking about the priesthoods and all of that. that There was was a whole lot of... uh, uh, Regulations that went into being priests. And one of the things that you could not do is you could not touch a dead body. If you were a priest and you touched a dead body, you were unclean and unfit to serve in the temple. And so maybe as the priest is going by, he doesn't know whether the man's really alive or dead and he doesn't want to risk becoming unclean and not being fit to serve in the temple. So he's not going to expose himself perhaps To the dead body. Perhaps. I don't know. Or the Levite. For whatever reason. And the thing that I think that we can learn from them. Is that we should not get too busy doing big things. We need to look around for the small opportunities to serve God. And serve others. 
I did find a quote that I use from time to time with the young people. And uh, I think I had a sign on it in my office. And I, what reminded me of it is Peter Joe Johnson put something on Facebook just a couple weeks ago saying that he remembered some kind of sign that I had in my office. And the sign went something like this. Great occasions for serving God come seldom. But little ones surround us daily. You know, I'm sure the priest has something really important to do. I'm sure the Levite had something really important to do. But right then, at that moment, what was important was helping the man that was in need. We can wait around our whole lives, waiting for that gigantic opportunity to serve God. Waiting for that moment when we will be able to shine, when we will be able to do something that that will just wow people and we think will wow God. Ignore the daily little opportunities to serve others. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about Matthew 25, about the sheep and the goats. And Jesus said to the ones on the left, the goats, he said, you know... When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was naked, you didn't give me anything to wear. When I was sick and in the hospital, you didn't come visit me. And Jesus said, or the people said, when? And you see what's going on in their head. Jesus, if you were ever hungry, we'd have prepared a banquet for you. If we ever knew that you were thirsty... And we would have brought you all kinds of water. If, if we knew that you needed clothes, we would, have, we would have bought you a whole new wardrobe. See, I did, we'd have done the great things. We'd have done the big things. Jesus said, but if you didn't do it to the least of these, if you didn't do it to the people you saw every day that were in need, then you didn't do it to me. Jesus talked about just giving a cup of water. It may just be a cup of water. We've been talking about encouragement on Sunday morning. It might just be a word of encouragement to a brother or sister who's struggling. Don't wait for the great things. Don't get too busy in big things that we miss the little everyday opportunities to serve God around us. So now I want to get into some of the lessons that we do learn from the Samaritan. First of all, we see that he took pity on the man. And that word, is, and the same word sometimes says, you know, he had compassion on him. And I want to look at it a little differently. You see, it says that the priest saw the man and went to the other side. The Levite saw the man and went to the other side. The Samaritan saw the man and went to him. You see, they're seeing and seeing. Isn't there? I love it when Jesus says, remember when the sinful woman comes in and and begins, you know, washing his hair with her tears, washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. And the people are all about, ooh, does he know what kind of woman that is? And he's at Simon's house and he says, Simon, do you see the woman? Well, what kind of question is that? She had just barged into his house and interrupted his meal. Of course he saw the woman. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
Do you really see the woman? Do you see her heart? Do you see the, the, the love for me that she is showing, the service that she is giving to me? The priest saw him. The Levite saw him. But the Samaritan really saw him and took pity on him. And then it says that he went to him. He accepted him. Even though he was an enemy. Even though the man lying there on the ground, if he could have mustered up enough spit, would have probably spit on the Samaritan. Even though if the roles had been reversed, I'm sure the Samaritan knew in his heart that there is no way that Jew would ever help him in a million years. But he still went to the man. The Samaritan initiated the action. The hatred between the Jews and Samaritan was so great that there's a chance that the Jew might have rather just died on the road than to have a Samaritan help him. He might never have asked for help from the Samaritan. But the Samaritan didn't wait to be asked. He went to him and began to serve him. Remember the rumor about Jesus in Luke chapter 15. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ooh. The woman at the well, the adulterous woman, Zacchaeus, the woman, the sinful woman that anointed him. All those were people that nobody else wanted anything to do with. And Jesus accepted them. Now, did he condone any sin in their lives? No, he did not. In fact, Zacchaeus understood what having a relationship with Jesus meant. Jesus didn't prompt him to do anything. Zacchaeus said, if I've ever shortchanged anybody, if I've ever cheated anybody, I'll give them back four times what I've cheated them. To the adulterous woman, he said, don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. And so Jesus accepted people where they were. We kind of give the attitude sometimes, perhaps, straighten up first, and then we'll accept you. Well, that, it doesn't work that way, does it? How would you like your doctor to say... You call the doctor. You say, I've got 105 fever. I'm throwing up. I got the shakes. I've got hives all over my body. I got the shingles. I need an appointment. And the doctor says, I tell you what, when you get better, come see me. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to get whatever you got. Well, you don't want that from your doctor. And that's not what Jesus expects of us. Remember, we've talked about this before. We can't fix ourselves first and come to him. Well, we can't expect others to fix themselves first and clean themselves up and then come and they'll be acceptable. The Samaritan took the man where he was. We need to avoid prejudices racially, socially, economically, even religiously. We can't wait for the world to come to us, but we have to go to the world in service. We also see that he took action. Always in the Gospels, when it talks about Jesus and compassion, it almost always says, and Jesus was moved 
with compassion and did something. You think when the priest looked over, he might have had a little pity on the man? Probably. When the Levite looked over, a little pity on the man? Yeah. But the Samaritan took compassion on the man. That word compassion, it's kind of a, when you get right down to it, it's really kind of a gross word. Because it really has to do with the inner movement of the stomach and bowels. Ooh, that's gross. Those of you that were around on 9-11, were you sick to your stomach? Yeah. Those of you old enough when the space shuttle exploded, were you sick to your stomach? That's the kind of emotion that compassion is. But it moves us to do something. It moves us to do something. Now, in the case of the space shuttle in 9-11, you know, where we were at that particular time, there wasn't much we could do except pray. Pray. But when we're moved with compassion, when we see people and we're moved on the inside, we need to do something about it. Not just pass by on the other side. He did something. He bandaged the man. He took him and put him on his donkey and he carried him to the end. And lastly, we think about the fact that he sacrificed for the man. He sacrificed. Now, if you were to ask the priest of the Levite, was their time more important than the Samaritans? To them it was. If you were to ask the Samaritan, Was their time more important than his? No. Don't we all think our time is really important? The Samaritan's time was just as important to him as the priest and the Levite. But he sacrificed that time. He sacrificed his safety. I, you know, I don't know anything, but I I read what the people tell me. And they tell me that that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was one dangerous road. That there were bandits and outlaws and robbers and murderers and thieves all along that road. And maybe what went into the priest and the Levite walking on by was, I don't know who did that to him, but they may be right behind that rock. And I'm going to move along. But the Samaritan risked even his own safety to help the man. He sacrificed it. He sacrificed his reputation. If people found out about this, if people in Samaria found out about this, he wouldn't have been able to, he wouldn't have had any, you helped a Jew? What were you thinking? Our arch rival, our worst enemy, why would you? And his reputation would have been shot. He sacrificed his material goods. He sacrificed his own comfort. I'm sure the man was riding the donkey. Did he put the man on so he had to walk? The oil and wine that he used to help, you know, for medicinal purposes cost him something. 
He gets to the end. He gives him the two silver coins. That cost him something. And he even promised to pay if it cost anything more than that. Now, how many of us would have been kind of like, you know what? (laughs) Get to the end, dump the man on the doorstep and tell the innkeeper, okay, he's one of yours. You take care of him. I did, I did the minimum. I did what I had to do. But he said, you know what? If it costs more than these two silver coins, when I come back, I'll settle up with you. Don't worry about it. So he sacrificed for the man. We generally do not live in a world of sacrifice. The thieves said, what yours is mine to the man. The Levite and the priest said, what my, what's mine is mine. <laughs> I want to. But the Samaritan said, what my, what's mine is yours. And I'll help you. Just as Jesus sacrificed for the world, his people ought to sacrifice as well. In order to serve God, we must serve others. We need to realize that little things mean a lot. We must take time and notice people around us and the opportunities we have to serve. To have more than just pity, but compassion that moves us to help others and to take action, even if it means sacrificing. If there's some way that we can help you this evening, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com, or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.